In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-horn parlor. I wish I was like six foot nine so I can get with Leo. She cause she don't know me, but yo, she's really fine. You know I see her all the time, everywhere I go. Even in my dreams, I got scheme ways to make her mine. Cause I know she's living fat. Her boyfriend's tall and he plays ball, so how am I gonna compete with that? Cause when it comes to playing basketball, I'm always last to be picked, and in some cases never picked at all. So I just lean up on the wall, or sit up in the bleachers with the rest of the girls who came to watch they man ball. Dad, y'all, I never understood black while the jocks get the fly girls. And me, I get the hood rats. I tell them scats, skittles, kabobble. Got hit with a bottle. Live in the hospital for talking that mess. I confess it's a shame when you living in a city that's the size of a box and nobody knows. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-form baller. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-form baller. So sentimental. Not sentimental, no romantic, not disgusting yet. Darling, I'm down, I'm lonely. When with a fortune and only, I've been looking for something else. Do it, do it, do it, juggle it, do it, do it. Let's go slowly, discourage. Distant from other interests. On your favorite weekend, and in this love for gentlemen only. That's with a fortune and only. No, I gotta be someone else. These days it comes, it comes, it comes, it comes, it comes and goes. A list of many Nobody 
nobody do it like we do it, so show us love. Fresh like, uh, Impala, uh, foam hydraulics, 808 drugs, you don't want none, nigga better run. When beef is on, I pop back in trucks, I'm getting some, Mr. Grip, pump. If a nigga step on my right hand, once this red rum, ready, here, come, Compton, uh, Dre found me in the slums, selling that stuff, one hand on my gun, I was selling rocks when that's the people saying, uh. Walk past the blunt, the G and the girls just wanna have fun. Coke and rum, got weed on the tongue. I'm banging with my hand up a dress like uh. I'm making cum, purple haze in my lungs. Whole gang in the front, case a nigga wanna stun. I put Lamborghini doors on that Escalade. Low pro, so look like I'm riding on blaze. In one year, man, a nigga so great, I have a strict bitch in the telly going both ways. Touch me, tease me, kiss me, please me. I give it to you just how you like it, girl. You're now rocking with the best straight pound on my hip, tough long on my chest. Folks, this is how we do. This is so bad. It's good with Ryan Bailey. This is your bud Ryan. This is your Thursday episode. They just keep coming at you. I hope you guys are enjoying these because I sure as heck enjoy doing them. Uh, did you guys like the Crystal uh, Kung Minkoff interview? Was it okay? I thought it was good. I was so excited about it. I got a lot of positive feedback, so that's always good. Listen, I would love to get all the salacious, dirty details, and hopefully one day we will. I feel like genuinely, don't you wish sometimes, this is a completely bizarre thought that we'll start the uh, the show off with, don't you wish you could skip ahead 20 years like for all the dirt on like all the stuff that we live through now, because, you know, if you study pop culture, you find out exactly what these people went through, but just 20 or 30 years down the line, then you find out all the issues and all the backstage stuff and all of that. And I'm not just talking about housewives. I'm talking about all of pop culture, you know, all of these things you find out decades. I mean, I guess it's the same with our lives and our family, right? (laughs) You're like, wait, Wait, what did my cousin do? I had no idea about that. Uh, I didn't actually mean my real cousin. My cousin's great. Abby, if you're listening, what's up? Actually, Abby, uh, my cousin Abby, her friends, actually some of her friends listen in Columbus, Ohio. And that actually is so cool. Um, So we've had a great week of shows. We did the Salt Lake recaps on Tuesday. I watched the new episode of Salt Lake tonight, and I cannot wait to recap that. uh, Because, listen... I I was I was gripped with panic all day because I just wanted to know how Heather's choir auditions were going to go. I mean, and and here because I thought Lisa Barlow perfect for the choir, but it's in it's all in who you know and how you play the game. And Heather was mad at Lisa, so I'm like, are they going to recognize Lisa Barlow's true talent? As a top-notch choir singer. And so it was exciting to watch that episode tonight. And folks, if you listened to yesterday's episode after the Crystal interview, I did like a little mini pop culture roundup. And I said that the new season of The Crown came out today. And get and your boy watched his first episode of The Crown ever. And I gotta tell ya, pretty slow. No, 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 no. It was, it was cool. It was great. No, it was, it it takes place in the, uh, I think this part takes place in the late eighties, early nineties. So I'm, I'm, I, I've only watched one episode, so we'll we'll see where it goes from there. But I'm glad to be a part of it. And also, by the way, shout out to our friend Lex Nico, who has been on this show plenty of times. But she finally got to announce something that I'd heard about for a while, is that she is doing a pod for Betches, who I love. We just had Sammy Sage on a couple weeks ago. 
her and uh, Sam, who is at Bravo Historian, they're doing a royal podcast. It's going to be launching on December 1st. It's called Crown Jewels with Lex and Nico and Samantha Bush. And I'm a huge fan of Lex and Sam. So I'm excited to see the royals through their eyes. And it's something that I, 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 I don't know. I, like, I kind of like learning about things. So, I mean, not all things, but some things. So I was really happy. And Lex is going to be back uh, with us next week. So we'll talk all about this really cool announcement, plus all of these pop culture stories. We were texting back and forth, and we already were like, oh my God, what about this? Oh my God, what about this? I Guys, I don't know if this is true or not, or if I just, if I, I've been taking naps um, the last couple, I've just been so stressed out lately that I'll take like a 30 minute nap. <laughs> Am I in... Am I in the nap phase of my life? And uh, I don't know if I dreamed this, but I think Nick Cannon announced another kid today. And he just announced one a couple days ago. And I genuinely couldn't tell you if that's a dream or if he truly did announce another baby. I'm telling you, I've told you this now for a year now. He must be stopped. We, eventually, he's going to have thousands of babies, and then we're done for. We're done for. He is going to take over. It's not going to be America any, anymore. It's going to be Canon America or something like that. We've just got to be. We got to keep a close eye on him. Uh, today's podcast, we have a great interview with the director and producer Billy Corbin. And if the name sounds familiar, he was on the podcast about a year and a half ago because he was. Uh, he did the Netflix series Cocaine Cowboys, and if you remember that, there was actually a tie-in with Real Housewives of Miami because Alexia was married and had two sons with uh, the one gentleman that was one of the leads of the story. So she was a talking head in that, and I just found myself devouring that series on Netflix, uh, and I still recommend that. But he is back with a documentary on Hulu that I I've been talking about for the last week. It's called God Forbid. And we'll get to the interview in a bit. Uh, and remember, there are timestamps if you want to skip right ahead. But I, he talks about it as it's a tantalizing story that starts off with a pool boy. Just go with me here, you guys. It's Giancarlo. He's a 20-year-old, good-looking pool boy. And one day, there's like this hot, well, there's, a, there's like a, a pretty older-looking lady taking pictures of him at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami. And uh, he goes up to her. There's a flirtation involved, but she's married. But the thing is, the husband is in on it. He wants to watch... This twenty. And by the way, kids, kids, if you're if you're listening, mom, dad, if you're if you if you guys are listening to this as a family, like I know you guys sometimes do, let's get the kids out. Stop the car, kick them out of the car for the next couple of minutes, because let's talk just as adults. Are the kids out? And by the way, the kids that stay, get ready to get real cool, because you're gonna learn about dirty stuff. Um, no, so. The guy, and I'm not judging, I'm not, I want, I made, make this point during the interview, I'm not kink shaming at all. And I appreciate when you guys let me go a little left of center of reality shows. It keeps me sane, barely. Um, but his thing was he likes, he likes to watch other men sleep 
with his wife, which is called a cuck, you know, a cuck situation. Um, and this documentary starts that way. So you feel like it's all this tantalizing kind of like tawdry sex. And it's like this innocent uh, pool boy, which, by the way, I'm sure he's not that innocent. But he said he's a horny 20 year old. Of course, he wanted to have sex. And, yeah, it's a little weird having the husband in a corner watching. But, hey, you know, sex is sex. It's like. Pizza, you know, even if it's bad, you still get to eat a pizza. Oh my God, I'm really going to regret this whole soundbite one day. Um, but then, you guys, they find out, or we are, it's revealed who they are. They're the Falwells, the, Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, Becky Falwell, that his dad, Jerry Falwell Sr., is. Somebody that was the head of the evangelical movement in America. And so then it gets to take you on the history of evangelism in America. And and I know that, you know, he, Billy Corbin says, you know, then we start getting you a little broccoli, which he says the healthy stuff, where it tries to teach you a little bit about something. And the thing that I want to make clear and I make clear in this interview is that this is not making fun of religion. This is fascinating. It's actually, you know, talking about evangelism but also that sometimes these people, whether it be in religion or politics or our housewives, are they're they're full of BS sometimes. They're hypocrites. They don't they don't follow what they preach. They don't do what they say. They just tell other people what to do and how to behave, but they don't behave that way themselves. They themselves were getting, going out, getting wasted, you know, doing the whole hippity-dippity with like, you know, having his wife sleep with other guys. And he had a bunch of really interesting situations. But then at his own university, he was finding women for uh, being in the same room as a man. Like we actually, has an interesting story that I found fascinating where you could get fined sitting on the same couch with a female if you were a male. So when you would date at Liberty University, there were stories of people like watching movies together, but the male would sit outside on the patio with the patio door shut and the woman would sit inside watching the movie and that was considered a date. And I'm like, wow, first off, very inexpensive. That's that's also, but then you're just also thinking about the weather and hoping that the dude doesn't get sick when he's just sitting outside. But I get so fascinated by documentaries and this one just blew me away. So I recommend it, but I recommend it tentatively. If religion upsets you, if, you know, this is what I try to explain to anybody and I try to do this with myself as well. Even like on Monday's episode after we had uh, uh, Sophie, you know, we had a Nalini stamp who it was a political interview, but we try to do it with a slant with housewives. And of course I got uh, some emails and some DMS of like, you know, you've lost a listener and blah, 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 blah. And I, and I respect, you know, like, listen, I, I, I try to write back to those when I get to see them. I don't get to see all of them. I'm sure there's more where it's like, I respect your opinion. Uh, totally, you know, respect whatever you need to do. But I always want to say, if you guys get upset about anything that I say, it's okay. You, you, you I want you to listen. I, I welcome you to listen. And if you can't listen for a while, I welcome you back when you can. Um, 
I think we all have good hearts, and I know it can be so frustrating when people disagree with each other. I get that. But that's why I always say this tries to blend so many different things. And when I take, like last last week, we did an episode with Alyssa Mass, who had filmed a scene with Crystal Kung Minkoff about her ED, her eating disorder. By the way, I do want to point at the beginning of the show that I confused a couple people by us calling it ED. Um, Because a lot of people, you have to remember, they don't think of ED as the term for eating disorder. They actually think of ED as erectile dysfunction. That's not a joke. I've gotten many messages about that. And um, haha, folks, I don't have erectile dysfunction. So that's not what I was saying. But thank you so much for believing that I do. And it's really nice to get emails saying, sorry about your erectile dysfunction. There are pills that you can take. Guys, I'm fine there. I promise. I swear. Um, I'm not even joking like that. I got that. Go, this is how I know ED. And they sent me a screenshot of ED erectile dysfunction. I go, I know what erectile dysfunction. I just, ED is how we say eating disorder. And I feel like there's room for both, but I should have been more specific that, um, I do have working male parts as of now. Now that could go south anytime, but what I'm saying is that, you know, I appreciate my audience because you guys let me go with things that fascinate me. Politics don't fascinate me per se. They kind of make me sad. But in a story like this, when I get to learn about evangelism and sometimes, you know, the the hypocriticism, not like I said, not only religion, but I love the hypocriticism of reality shows, of housewives. I mean, come on. We, you know, you have uh, Meredith Marks. Uh, going up against Lisa Barlow, even because of a hot mic moment, when in reality, Lisa Barlow said some really hard truths about Meredith Marks. And Meredith Marks, being a hypocrite, says that hurt her very badly, but now is trying to spread a rumor around that she's possibly sleeping with people to get Vita tequila in stores. I mean, that's that's pretty hypocritical to me. I mean, and listen, I'm a hypocrite, Right. Like, there have been times when I said I've loved a housewife, and then two seasons later, I'll hate that housewife. Does that make me a hypocrite? Maybe. We all are at some point. But I just wanted to say that I don't do any of these interviews. I don't do any of these things to hurt people. I mean, my gosh, just the opposite. I try to be uh, me, which is like goofy, but interested in a wide array of things. But I'm also interested in pop culture. And where pop culture, I feel, has headed is just this weird blend of reality, is that politics and religion have become pop culture, like I had said on Monday. So we would be ignorant to ignore it. Remember, one of my favorite things about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is that that it has that religious backdrop. Now, that fascinates me because it's something new for the housewives. So I think this is something that you have to pay attention to. And it's just really fascinating. Uh, It's really fascinating to see how things work, to see how the machinations of growth happen. You see, even in this documentary, that people trusted Jerry Falwell Jr. so much that his endorsement of Donald Trump at the time made him have like an 84% 84% approval rating with evangelicals, even though he was on mic saying you can grab women by the ba-da-da and da-da-da and da-da-da. And listen, I got to tell you, you guys, I'd said it on Monday. 
The Apprentice, Love Me or Hate Me, well, it used to be one of my favorite reality shows of all time. Like, I've actually thought, and the Patreon's going to scream no, but like, there have been times where I'm like, should I recap a season of The Apprentice one time? Because it had the most ridiculous celebrities of all time. I mean, I just think it's so funny. You know, it's like you have Brett Michaels from Poison and Arsenio Hall going up against each other in business. And there was something really funny and amusing about that. So, That is what you're in for, but also I want to say it is my dream and it is a passion of mine to be able to speak to people about this because there is the story itself, but this man now, this is his career. He's directed some amazing documentaries and I know he's going to continue to do those, and I just love people that are fascinated in their work and like fascinating in trying to tell a story. That's what I sit at this computer and I try to do. I mean, sure, it's mainly like kind of telling you the history of fart jokes, but it's my passion. I love people that are passionate and I love people that teach you something new. And whenever I watch this dude's documentaries, it teaches me something new and it's on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, it's free to watch um, and just try it. But it does have very adult themes. So I love that interview. And it's just very, it's just, he has such, we just had a really good rapport. So I can't wait for you to hear that. But do you mind if we do some pop culture stories in the meantime? There are a couple things that I want to talk about. Uh, Harry Styles, by the way, we did a story on Monday. They had a flu and he had to cancel three shows. He's back at the forum, baby. Olivia Wilde has mended him back to health. So he is back and operational in terms of touring. Um, and we're very excited. Um, also, this Friday, uh, Takeoff, one of the um, the rappers in the uh, supergroup Migos, uh, will be a public funeral on Friday, and I guess Justin Bieber is performing at his funeral. I pray to God that Takeoff was a Justin Bieber fan. If not, that, you know, Takeoff might be really bummed out, you know? It's like, I'm trying to think who I really... It's like if if the lead singer of Goo Goo Dolls performed at my funeral, like, I wouldn't dig it. I'd be like, ah, you know, like, I wasn't... I wasn't... Eh. You know, that was about the thing. My ex, my ex loves the Goo Goo Dolls. And listen, I'm not, I love Counting Crows. And these are both bands. If you're younger, you have no idea who the F they are. But I think Counting Crows was way cooler than Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls, this guy, Johnny Resnick, looked like he always had like frosted tips. He looked like a soccer mom to me. And he had, they had like three really good songs that were overplayed, maybe four or five. But my ex was so into them. And it was a common fight around the house, Goo Goo Dolls, because I did not like, I just didn't. I, well, anyway, so anyway, whoever's in charge of my funeral out there, please do not play Goo Goo Dolls, even as a joke. Like, even as, like, he'll, he'll get this, you know, wherever he's at right now, he'll get a good laugh if we play Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls right now. Please don't do that. Um, okay, moving right along. Um, okay, the Kardashians' new episode tonight, which I'll be doing on the Patreon in a couple days, um, it is all about something very noble Uh, We started this plot line in last week's episode of The Kardashians, but it's about Kim fitting her big butt into Marilyn Monroe's famous dress that she sang uh, Happy Birthday, Mr. President to to, to JFK. So a very noble cause. And Kim is training like she's in a Rocky movie. There's montages. She needs to get down in weight. 
I love when I try to get down in weight, it's so I don't have a heart attack. When Kim does, it's because she needs to fit into a Marilyn Monroe dress. Like, that's what I told my trainer today. I was like, yo, we need, like, is that something that could inspire me? I buy some sort of Marilyn Monroe dress and we try to get where I can fit into it. Oh, you guys at my, uh, I love the detours we take, by the way. I hope you guys do too. I was at the trainer today. And I'm still not good at it, like, but I'm getting better, but I'm still not good. But we have a good rapport, me and my trainer, so much so that his name's Barack, and I think he's going to be coming on the pod next week to give us a couple of do's and don'ts coming up on the holiday season in what to watch out for, which I think will actually be a very entertaining segment. And uh, there are two girl trainers in there that are always there, and him. I always hate when other trainers are in there because I sweat so much and it's got, it gets embarrassing for me, but now I'm kind of comfortable. So it's like, I think they just realize I have a sweating issue and they don't treat me any differently, but, um, it like whichever trainer is there first gets, uh, the ox cord, they get to play what they want. So last week, the, the one, tra- the one trainer, I should know her name. She, um, she played the new Carly Rae Jepsen album and it's, it's kind of like mellow, but I dig it. And I was like, wow, Brock, you're picking Carly Rae Jepsen. This is amazing. And we got a good laugh at it because Brock really doesn't know Carly Rae Jepsen. But that trainer had the oxygen today. And I knew it immediately because I walked in there and she was playing Halsey, Paramore. I mean, it was all girl artists. So we did um, a quiz with my trainer, Brock, every song. And he did not know any. And then he tried to make excuses. He didn't know Taylor Swift. And he goes, well, Taylor Swift has never really done any kind of like, she's never really reached out to, uh, and I say, you know, I think he meant like a rapper or something like that because he's really knowledgeable about rap. And uh, like I said, awesome dude. But I said, hey, man, you need to get into reputation era Taylor Swift because that was the one where she came out against Kanye. So we sat there for, I mean, well, he stood there. I was lifting weights, kind of crying to myself, but I was also making fun of him for not knowing basic things like who, who's Paramore. Like, come on. You don't know Paramore? You don't know Selena Gomez? You don't know Miley Cyrus? Come on, man. And then I kind of felt like finally that's my strength. Maybe it's not my muscles, but maybe it's my pop culture knowledge. So because I was impressing the female trainers by my knowledge. And then he was like, that's what he has to do. That's kind of his job. And I was like, it is kind of now, but also that always has just been me. So I was very excited to finally impress my trainer with something. It was just unfortunately not my muscles. Speaking of Kanye, uh, you guys, so... We got news last week or two weeks ago now, I think it was, that Adidas has ended their billion, billion dollar deal with Kanye West over Yeezys. Now, this is fascinating, though, in terms of business, and it's taken them a couple weeks to really decide how they want to move forward. But how they want to move forward, this is what they are doing. And I found I find this interesting because I'm, I'm curious how it's going to play, kind of like, like with Elon Musk and Twitter. So Adidas is going to sell Yeezys under new branding. And this is from businessinsider.com. Yeah, folks, I don't just read the Daily Mail. I read businessinsider.com. And actually, I just Googled and it came up. It says, Kanye West's worst nightmare is coming true. Adidas plans to sell Yeezys under new branding. And uh, they do these things called earnings calls where they talk about how much money they're making for their shareholders and blah, blah, blah. 
Adidas terminated his partnership with Ye in October, but it still owns the designs, lock, stock, and smoking barrel. There's no argument there. And Ye previously objected to Adidas releasing shoes without his approval. So with this uh, public, very public breakup, I mean, Kanye now, uh, for many reasons, has had multiple breakups in this last couple of years. You have Kim, you have Yeezys. Uh, what else did he cut ties with uh, recently? I mean, Balenciaga ended their partnership with him. Uh, the Gap ended their partnership with him. A lot of goodbyes. So this has been a nine-year relationship, and it proved to be insanely financially successful, but oftentimes turbulent. Um, so what they're going to do, you guys, is they're going to still sell all of these designs, but they're not going to call it Adidas. I mean, so they're not going to call it Yeezy anymore. So the quote is, Adidas is the sole owner of all design rights registered to this existing product. We intend to make use of these rights as early as 2023. And they even have pictures of things that will be coming out in the future, and these are part of that. Uh, but Adidas will save roughly $302 million in 2023 because of royalties and marketing costs it will no longer pay to support the Yeezy business. Now, remember, Kanye left Nike for Adidas in November 2013. Uh, and he criticized Nike and then CEO Mark Parker for not paying him royalties on sold shoes. Um, so this will be very interesting when this once this starts coming into play, uh, because we know that Kanye doesn't really um, do well with ignoring things. So I'm curious where this ends up and also where Kanye lands. Remember, he and this wasn't a joke. He, he walked in uh, not with a scheduled meeting at all to Skechers headquarters. Like my to Skechers for the love of God. Like I feel like we truly are close with an old Navy partnership, except that old Navy is owned by the same owners as the gap. So I guess that's out of the way. What if he does like he had that lawsuit with Walmart because they were showing like they were selling their own version of the foam runners Yeezys. Uh, and, uh, they were selling for like eight bucks and he sued Walmart, but eventually what if Kanye partners with Walmart? It is fascinating if you're fascinated in business. Also to go back to the Kardashians and Kim fitting her butt into that Maryland dress, Pete was cut out of the episode. I have not watched it yet, but I have been reading, uh, little blurbs as I, as I go to record the podcast, usually late at night, I'll start looking at entertainment stories of the day. And he has been cut out, even though we know he escorted her to the Met Gala. He went to the design fitting. And I hear that the only reason Kim got that Maryland dress at the very last minute was because Kris Jenner made a call. Imagine that Kim Kardashian couldn't get it done. But one call from Kris Jenner, what do you think that call, was it like, I will fucking end you, Ripley's Believe It or Not. I'm going to bring me, Corey Gamble, and I'm going to do a loose Kanye, and we're going to all come down and destroy Ripley's Believe It or Not. Like, what? This is what I'm saying. I truly believe we have never seen the real Kris Jenner on TV, because how do you make that? This lady needs to be studied. And I speak purely out of respect and a little bit of fear that I want to know how Chris Jenner operates. 
You cannot ignore the business acumen. You cannot ignore how, and if Kim can't do it, because Kim is learning to take over the family business and Kim couldn't make it happen. Kim had to rely on her mother to do that. And that's why sometimes he's like, our moms are great, right? <laughs> I talked to my mom for an hour today. I'm going to see her this weekend. And uh, she's great. We're uh, She's very excited. Uh, my sister's going to make chili on Sunday. If you guys need to know my whereabouts, it'll probably be the bathroom. Uh, she told me about that. And I've got a list of chores because I'm trying to be helpful uh, as there are certain things that she can't do anymore. So I'm going to be taking down the holiday, not taking down, but like taking down the holiday decorations from the attic. And I will be for the first time helping my dad with holiday decorations. We got a whole Christmas vacation possible scene getting set up where I'm going to try to make this the most magical Christmas for my mom ever or the mat or whatever holiday uses, you know, I, I hope this is a magical holiday season for all of us, but I especially want it to be for my mom. So I'm excited to go down there this weekend and see what we have in store that Miss Becky Bailey wants to do. Uh, okay. What else do we got? Winter house comes on tomorrow night. Uh, I am going to start recapping Winter House. I'm sorry I'm behind, but like basically to sum up so far, they're just drinking wildly. Craig seems to be leaning more and more into being an asshole. There are sports involved. Tom Sandoval and Tom Schwartz showed up. We found out that Schwartz uh, has already been uh, asked for a divorce by Katie, but we found that out in a talking head. He hasn't told anybody in the house um, and we'll find out more tomorrow night. But for some reason, I think Winter House is magical. I know some of you guys don't. I love that. I love that we all love different shows. Also, I want to remind you once again, Family Karma Season 3, Episode 1, premiered this past Sunday. Watch it. Also, I want to recommend Real Girlfriends in Paris. I talked with a cast member, and I I think I'm going to talk with another cast member uh, very soon. But that show is a 10-episode season, and they had their final episode a week ago, or last week. And I think it's a delightful show that is, if you are in bed on a Saturday or Sunday, just turn it on on demand or bravotv.com and make your way through that series. It's one of those things that don't let shows like this become a one season wonder. This happened to Gallery Girls, NYC Prep. Uh, it happened to so many shows that we now look back and go, oh man, I wish they'd had a second season of that. Well, we got to step up and we got to support. Um, also, there's this, uh, are you guys watching the the Culpo sisters, Olivia Culpo and her sisters? They have a new reality show that I believe is over on uh, Discovery or TLC. Uh, I'm going to watch that out of interest on uh, on that. Also, the reality gaze, you guys know reality? gays um the the one gentleman uh he talks about me all the time on the show he has a little bit of a crush on me so we're doing a pod swap tomorrow where i get to tell the world how much this man has harassed me but at the same time i love him so get ready for me so bad it's good with reality gays uh we're gonna be recording it tomorrow and it's gonna come up very soon for you guys and i already can't wait i'm like i i, I get so dude i interviewed two amazing people today I interview two amazing people tomorrow, one a Bravo Leb and one the reality gaze. And it's just oh, it's just fun. It just you get to talk about all of these all of these things with these amazing people. Like you just it's the best. Um 
one more thing before we get into our interview here. Oh, you know what? This is actually there have been so many. Uh, look at the Daily Mail. There's been so many fashion articles lately. Like there was a big function at the. Um, I think the Academy Museum last week that every star was out and Billie Eilish and her boyfriend came in like a, I think it was like a Gucci blanket. And I'm already suspect of this dude. He's like the lead singer of the band, The Neighborhood, and he shaved his eyebrows. And you know how I feel about that, you guys. Not a fan. But they wore a Gucci blanket together on the red carpet, which is cute, but also annoying. Uh, if there is anybody, I do need a fashion correspondent at some point for these events or just a fashion correspondent to just let me know when these fashion events are coming up because it's a complete blind spot to me. So if you are a a, a, a verifiable fashion maven that can explain some of these things, please email Sandra at SoBadIt'sGood.org. Um, sorry, Sandra, that I'm just springing that on you, but I think it would be good. Cause I'm like looking at some of these pictures like last night, uh, well, they had the CMA awards and they're like, Katy Perry is a dream and cleavage bearing denim corset. Also a denim corset, like nobody's a dream in a denim corset. That's just called a denim corset. Um, but then the next article, this is like the daily mail has been shit this week. Cause it's all fashion for me personally. It says Emily Blunt looks sensational in sexy shimmery gown with peekaboo bodice at New York premieres for Amazon's the English peekaboo bodice. What the hell does a peekaboo bodice mean? Peekaboo like a bodice. Like, do you even at, do, do women go into stores and go, do you guys have bodices? Like, I swear to God, I think I've only heard that word like one or two times before, and it makes me think of things like Downton Abbey and the Crown. But bodice? Give me a break. Also, Lindsay Lohan gets into the holiday spirit with her new husband, Bader Shamas, as they make their red carpet debut at Falling for Christmas screening in New York. Remember, Lindsay is back on Netflix very soon with a holiday film. Netflix is finally competing with Hallmark Christmas movies and Lifetime Christmas movies with her own Falling for Christmas, which is kind of like overboard meets the holidays, which I'm I'm actually will definitely watch because, you know, that's what I do. Um, also wanted to uh, to end talking about another thing that I found very interesting and just something to keep aware of is Twitter, right? So Elon Musk now owns Twitter, $44 billion to own Twitter. I am on Twitter and I wouldn't pay for Twitter. I mean, like I, if that wasn't free, like no effing way. It's like, it is a cesspool, but it's a cesspool I love because I just get to try out stupid jokes. And trust me, folks, they're all pretty stupid, stupid. Sorry. Um, but I wanted to talk about this because there was, do you guys know that podcast Scam Goddess um, by uh, Lacey, I think Mosley is her name. I mean, she's a genius. She's also a, a great actress as well. Uh, yeah, Lacey Mosley. But she had a, like, she does this podcast about scammers and scams. And she had something horrible happen to her on Twitter last week where she didn't get necessarily scammed, but I guess she kind of did because she got locked out of her own account, her Twitter account, you guys. And then immediately who took this person, whoever it is that took control of the account, put up ads saying, I'm selling 10 MacBooks for $600 a piece and I'll sign them. Just DM me. 
And uh, I guess the lady that took over the account, her name was Jada. And it's very interesting because she was aware from day one that this was happening. And it took like seven days for anything to be done about it. And I find this very interesting, especially when Elon taking ownership of this is to try to make things safer, to make things less partisan, even though he's proven to make things both the other way. But it is his first week. We'll see. But I wanted to share this story because I felt it. I find it very interesting. Scam Goddess is an insanely good podcast. Um, But she says, and these are direct quotes from her Twitter. uh, She goes, time to share before this app goes to hell. I was hacked less than 36 hours after Twitter was taken over by you know who. I've confirmed my followers were scammed out of thousands of dollars, and it's a direct result of Twitter's negligence. I was logged out of my account on 1028, October 28th, and reported it that day. Repeated outreach and numerous reports that my verified account was hacked went ignored. Meanwhile, anyone who criticized or parodied the new owner, Elon, has been immediately suspended, which is very true. If you actually make fun of Elon or change your name to Elon, your account gets permanently banned and suspended. Um, And she shows us these pictures of like, whoever hacked that put the recovery email to not her email. She says a new financial shakedown for algorithmically elevated and protected speech on this app is promising protection from impersonation for verified accounts. But as soon as this takeover happened, Twitter allowed people to steal using my likeness for eight days unchallenged. And she posts a bunch of screenshots of people sending this woman, Jada, thousands of dollars for a promised MacBook from the scam goddess herself, even though she had no access to her account. And there was no way to get on Twitter to tell us she had no access to her account. I remember, because I do follow her seeing this, and I'm going, I thought first this was just like a bit for her show. Like, oh, I'm going to see if people are, you know, if people will respond to this and realize that it is kind of a prank. But it actually, she was locked out of her account. She goes on, this scammer impersonated me and created fake Venmo accounts in my name with my Twitter quote unquote verified account for eight days unchecked after Elon took over. I'll show proof of several instances of direct contact without anyone even freezing or shadow banning, shadow banning the account next. Um, so all of these people reached out to you know to say going like yo you're a scammer this person and going oh yeah really well look at all the people who paid me kind of taunting or like i don't believe it's you and then this person would send them screenshots of like a google search of lacey mosley and her podcast like no see here i am online and they'd be like okay and it just shows you people want to believe things so badly right i want to believe things so badly when i was a kid there in the back of comic books that i would read you could send away for like the instructions on how to build a hovercraft and in my head, this thing I was going to like, I remember being eight years old and going, I'll probably be like the first third grader to fly to school. And I remember thinking like, will the elementary school allow me to, will Scarborough Elementary School allow me to park on their roof? I was like, this is going to be, but it's worth it to send away from for. And I sent my $5 in an envelope, my my allowance money, and I just got back something that was never possible. And if it was like the, the thing, like it, it would go like an inch off the ground maybe and we're talking not something that you could ride 
It's not, it, it was nothing. It was just a complete scam that they would sell to kids. Um, she says, I tried to report it myself on Friday, but also reported it to people I know with more power who reached out with the same case number at various times, Friday and the following Monday, Tuesday, but I still wasn't returned the account until Saturday, November 5th. And she shows all of the proof of people reaching out and reporting with the number. She says, I lost my little Twitter account for over a week. Big whoop for most. I get it. But people lost hundreds and some thousands of dollars believing this scammer. If Twitter had listened to me, others direct outreach or many fans reporting and at least froze my account, this could have been prevented. This place has become even more unsafe than it already was. Please be careful. I believe Twitter started limiting my reach as soon as I regained the account. So please share or take a screenshot and don't buy goods in people's DMs here. Half of my career is warning people about scams. So it was embarrassing to get got, but I don't want that for y'all. And I just thought this was fascinating for so many reasons. First off, I do want to say uh, that doesn't count for my Patreon. Please subscribe. It's $5 a month. It's not a scam. There's actual things there. Uh, also, just give me money. Like, uh, I'm not even scamming you. Just just, just flat out give me money. <laughs> but it is. It, it was a point that I find fascinating, especially in this age of digital where we're kind of farther apart from each other, even though we're so directly, we so directly have access with each other. Like people respond back to me all the time. Sometimes I get to respond and sometimes I don't. But there's so much communication going back and forth is that, you know, I, I am so I am shocked. Are you ever shocked that you're not, you haven't been catfished yet? I'm shocked all the time that I haven't been catfished. And it's not like, I mean, sadly, people aren't even trying to catfish me. I think like sometimes you'll get that random text nowadays where it'll be like, hey, and I'll be like, what up? And they'll be like, it's, uh, hey, Bobby. And I'll be like, it's not Bobby, it's Ryan. Sorry, wrong number. And then they're like, oh, Ryan, you sound cute. And I'm like, first off, <laughs> you can't sound cute saying, hey, wrong number, my name's Ryan. It's not like, wow, that was a good comeback saying that you're Ryan. Like, so you get like, but like the cat, remember that one episode, you guys, of um, of Catfish on MTV where the guy thought he was dating Katy Perry for like years and they even prove that it was this girl overseas and they go and meet her. And the guy's like, the guy at the end still believes that that was a prank. And he really was communicating with Katy, Katy Perry the whole time. Cause she was like, he was like, she would send me her songs. She would send me unreleased songs. And it was just that she was sending like YouTube, like people would put up unreleased tracks on YouTube and she would send them to him. But it did go on for years, which is just a horrible thing to do to somebody. But this dude also participated in it for being like, I mean, the show literally said, dude, like we're showing you this is fake. But I guess sometimes we live lives that it's easier and much more exciting to believe that you actually are dating Katy Perry than what we're actually doing at the time, if that makes sense. So I just, that's a warning to me every day. Like I, I, I think I was talking to Heather last week or McDonald, like he, being so thankful that I was on that show and she was not giving me advice, but she was kind of telling me stories about the industry and telling me, she's like, ah, I never get too excited anymore about deals and this and that. And, you know, cause I was trying to uh, talk to her about where I was at and what I'm trying to do. And, you know, 
we both come from acting backgrounds and it was one of those things that I lost out on so many acting roles when I was younger. You'd get your hopes up. You'd tell your parents, you're like, I'm close. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, uh, an episode of big bang theory, or I'm going to get an episode of this. And then it wouldn't happen and it would break your heart. So you learn or you, you build up this resilience, um, or just kind of cover up your hurt. And, you know, Heather was just like, and it's, it, it, it you know, you always have a healthy suspicion, even if you're riding at the top of the world. You know, there's been so many exciting things that have happened to this show and me lately. And at the same time, I always have to have a healthy or try to be as humble as possible because you know that tomorrow is a new day that you wake up and you fight all over again. That you have to, you hope, like I'm already nervous for my interviews tomorrow. I woke up nervous for my interviews today and they both went fun. They were so good and fun. But tomorrow I wake up with the same thing again and again, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big you get or how many people praise you. You still wake up and you want to do good. And you realize that this is the joy right here. Talking to you guys, even if it ends right here, and I don't mean this is the last episode, but even if I never got any bigger than this, this is the magic for me. This is it. And I want that for you guys too. And thank you for letting me be a little piece of your life. I always say this and then I always get misty eyed and I feel like I'm truly hormonally imbalanced. But uh, anyways, that was our little mini pop culture roundup. Mini, it's 40. <laughs> I'm reminded by that uh, tweet everybody keeps sending me where you're, they're like, your favorite podcaster is 40 minutes into the episode and goes, okay, we're just going to jump right into it today. But we really are now just going to jump right into it. And remember, like I said, if you are sensitive to hearing about religion, if you're sensitive to evangelism, if you're sensitive about politics, don't listen to this maybe if it's going to upset you, but I found this so wildly fascinating and I found his documentary, Billy Corbin's documentary, God Forbid, which just came out on Hulu last week or a week and a half ago. I found it so damn compelling. And we usually have the same taste on a lot of things. I recommended The Vow yesterday. I recommended The Low Country about the uh, Alex Murdaugh murders. Um, I don't know if I'm going to recommend The Crown yet to you, but I do recommend God Forbid. I find it a really interesting walk down American politics and religion and just basic human desire and sexuality. So thank you for always allowing me to take a left when sometimes you want me to take a right. But I think we always get at a really cool place. So ladies and gentlemen, his second time on the show. So excited to have him, the director, Billy Corbin. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. 
So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to iHeartRadio. So bad it's good. Today we have a returning guest of somebody that I am just a huge damn fan of, not just as a documentarian, but I just love the way this dude's mind thinks. Uh, you might remember him from the Cocaine Cowboys docuseries uh, that I we, he was on for like a year and a half ago. Also the director of one of my favorite documentaries, 537 Votes, but he's got something special on his hands right now that I don't think enough people know about and I want you guys to know about. About. Uh, we talk about housewives and reality shows and how crazy that can be, but reality, real life can even be crazier than real housewives. And he has directed a documentary on Hulu right now called God Forbid The Sex Scandal That Brought Down a Dynasty. This is a documentary, you guys. It starts off with a sensational, it's a high profile affair between a pool boy, uh, Giancarlo Granda. And uh, uh, Becky Falwell, who is the wife of the prominent Republican evangelist, Jerry Falwell Jr. So it goes into this story and then pulls out and we get the history of evangelism in America, of Liberty University, of how it has affected where we are today as a country politically, our Supreme Court, and all this based on a story that starts off with a pool boy. I am so excited to talk to this man again today. Billy Corbin, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I often say our work is so bad it's good. So um, <laughs> it's always it always makes makes perfect sense that this is my now second I, time oh my program. God. I'm never going to live down the title of my show, but like this is I, I have to tell you, I was watching this and and it's great because the way you frame this story in the beginning, it's 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 tantalizing. It's like titillating. You're doing this affair about a man and by the way these are adult themes you guys where becky falwell ends up sleeping with the pool boy where jerry falwell allegedly is in the corner of the room almost quote unquote like a cock uh watching this happen and then you pull back and we get the history of evangelism in america the risk of interviewing you do do people like not want to come on the show because they think they're insinuating that their work is so bad that it's good. No, or... Billy, I don't see. I as I get further into this and it gets more popular, I sometimes have to explain. I'm like, no, because it meant like reality shows that were like so sometimes tacky at times. And now I'm actually reaching out to people that I truly respect and admire. And so I'm like, do I need to change the title? Because that is definitely not what I mean here. But I started watching this late at night and it kept me up for the entire yeah. two hours hours of this thing you know our our friend uh, todd shulman uh who along with uh adam mckay from hyper object uh co-produced this and 537 votes with us uh he calls the best of our work which i hope god forbid ranks among he calls him uh, a trojan horse 
documentaries where we kind of, you know, you tempt the audience in with the candy and then you slip in some broccoli, you know, and, and feed them some but vegetables. But the broccoli so is so good. Like, the because bro- <laughs> I, I was not aware of evangel. I mean, I'm, of course, aware of evangelism in America, but I wasn't uh, uh, really aware of the facts between, between the moral majority. I mean, you even pull back. And this is what was fascinating, you guys. Jerry Falwell Sr. created this kind of dynasty, but also that they would actually test out their issues like at first i mean and this is you know trigger warning abortion wasn't really big with evangelicals at first like that you they actually test marketed this and then realized these issues could actually play almost like how tv shows will test out favorite characters yeah we certainly have this micro macro thing going on and and i'll address specifically what you said because i really want to because it was a very surprising uh an educational part for for us as filmmakers uh, to get into this. Uh, but the uh, the micro, of course, is this alleged cuckold threesome between this one-time pool attendant at the Fountain Blue Miami Beach Resort and the first couple of, you know, the first family of evangelicalism. And, and Jerry Falwell Sr. was the president. Becky was the first lady of liberty, the largest Christian university uh, in the world, uh, as they tout themselves, um, kind of living their best life down in Miami while very much uh, enforcing a strict code of, of student and faculty conduct at Liberty that doesn't allow any of the behavior that they were. Uh, they get fined. Students get fined. If they drink, they get a $300 fine. If they even actually women uh, have like are abused because of they get the women get fined. It is, it is bizarre. Yeah. Drinking, uh, fornicating outside the sanctity of marriage, profanity, drinking, um, there's there's stories on campus of Netflix and chill, or as as I now call it, Hulu and chill, uh, where <laughs> you had uh, female students in their dorm rooms on the first floor, and their their boyfriends or their dates are sitting outside in a lawn chair through an open window watching the movie with them because they're not allowed to cohabitate or share space on a futon or anything. So and and yes, it starts with monetary fines, but then it obviously scales up to suspension or expulsion. So they ruined people's lives, you know, uh, over over the same conduct that they were taking. Yeah, they, they, the, the hypocrisy is what's highlighted. And by the way, I'm not even yeah. saying that's a partisan issue because I know Democrats have sometimes not practiced what they preach as well. But it is fascinating when Liberty University then is, and you even point out, he's a king. He didn't even want to accept a Donald Trump uh, appointment because he'd rather be a kingmaker than because uh, he's a he's. He's responsible for the evangelical vote, which he got something like 82 percent of for yeah, Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. So the that is the thing here is that nobody wants to kink shame them. I don't care. I'm from Miami. Come down. Have fun. Yeah. Spend some money. Go By the way, follow club. Billy's Please. follow Billy's Twitter account uh, because hashtag because Miami will always be fascinating. Love it. Like come down like. Go to the go to Miami Velvet, the Roger Stone's favorite swingers club. Go, you know, avail, <laughs> avail yourself of our amenities, including, including our pool boys. You know, you know, have have safe, you know, sex with consenting adults. That's Miami, you know. But 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 the holier than now hypocrisy is really what we highlight. And to that end, it's not just the story about this cuckold threesome. It's also the story about, as you said, this a 50-year multi-generational evangelical dynasty that had had an outsized influence on presidential politics. And so this cuckold threesome, you know, in Miami, 
Uh, it's a butterfly effect story. The butterfly flaps its wings in Miami, and suddenly the course of history has changed. This cuckold threesome in Miami may have impacted the outcome of the last two presidential elections. And that's what I think makes the story so even more bizarre and and compelling. And you point out how successful they were at it. I mean, just think about it. If you want to actually think about the success, they, you know, Trump was able to be elected, changed the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade. I mean, we just had our election yesterday and we're seeing it wasn't the red wave that they thought it was going to be. But you definitely see where power comes into play. And it's so interesting, even with the separation of church and state, how really that does not exist. I agree that that in a midterm election year with 8% inflation, that should have been a rout by the Republicans. And it most certainly was not um, uh, other than Florida, because Florida. Um, but <laughs> but percent of white evangelicals in Georgia voted for Herschel Walker. So the theory here is. These folks would lock up a woman for getting an abortion, but a man who finances them should go to the U.S. Senate. So I think that's the kind of hypocrisy that a lot of other Americans and Christians, for that matter, are rejecting, because that's the thing. You uh, and they voted against a pastor, incidentally, as we know, in, 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 in a man in, that's in devoted Senator his Warlock. life. Right. <laughs> devoted his life to the God. <laughs> for, a de- for a devoted and devout abortionist, by the way. So so I don't really know what what's important is 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 not pro-life. It is pro-power. And that's the thing about this documentary, too. It is not about Christians or Christianity. It is about people who exploit Christians in Christianity yeah. for power and profit and use the pulpit to do that. And I want to get back to your point earlier, because this was so stunning, meeting and interviewing Randall Balmer, himself um, a, an evangelical pastor, uh, religious historian, theologian, and he has a fabulous story about the real origins of evangelical political power that he wrote for Politico in a bombshell piece back in 2014 that really helped inform us on that part, that arc of the story. And he, of course, tells it that, you know, turns the conventional wisdom on its head, that Roe v. Wade was the kind of galvanizing force for evangelicals. It's not untrue, but the timing of it is just a little off, and the motives are far more cynical than you would think. Um, or as, probably not, now we know how cynical it is that that I like I said, it wasn't pro-life, it was pro-power. Because what happened was is that they had a litany of culture war issues when evangelicals started to come out of the closet, if you will, and get more involved politically, because they kind of disappeared after the Scopes monkey trial in 1925, even though they won it. It was so embarrassing. They got just dragged and made fun of for being backwards and anti-science. And um, and so they kind of said, like, you know what, we'll do our thing. Government, you do your thing. Everybody goes their separate ways. Then the 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 rise of the televangelists and Jerry Falwell Sr. was the OG televangelist. So he's looking to grow the flock. He's looking to make more money and he's looking for culture war issues because it, you know, through the late 60s uh, with the civil rights movement into the 1970s, America is becoming more diverse, more accepting, more Americans are getting more rights. So he comes out against First, he comes out against uh, desegregation and they create these these segregation academies so that they can have they can separate white kids from black kids. Uh, That's not a winning issue publicly. Then they start going after the IRS who wants to revoke their tax exempt status 
for being segregationist. And that's not exactly a winning issue either publicly. So then, as you said, they do this market testing. They go up against uh, the, the Equal Rights Amendment and women's rights. They go up against LGBTQ plus uh, rights. They go up against, they go against divorce. They go against pornography, the famous, uh, the people versus Larry Flynn story. That's yeah. Jerry Falwell senior in that, in that case. So, um, and what they realize is nothing's really sticking. They are having, they're getting a lot of press and they're, they're having some minor political victories locally, especially here in Dade County, where they got the, uh, the South's first ever gay rights ordinance overturned when Jerry Falwell senior himself came down and campaigned alongside Anita Bryant. Uh, in 1977. That was his first kind of taste of political success. But then what they realized was um, uh, that this abortion issue was really sticking. The Catholics had been the ones since 1973 in the Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court. They had really been driving it. The Catholics, to their credit, that was it. That was an issue that they yeah, took seriously. Yeah, that's a Catholic issue. Come on. Catholic yeah. issue. And But the evangelicals were way, way, there was a lot of internal dissent because a lot of them retreated to their ideological default, which is conservative small government. They're like, by and large, they don't believe that the government should have any place in that decision that belongs to a woman, her doctor, her family, and her faith. And that, and we should not be, the government should not intrude in that. And then Falwell realized in 1978, after some, uh, 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 anti-abortion Republicans swept various U.S. U.S. Senate races across the country. He's like, oh, this That's is it. it. So uh, along with Paul Wyrick, who was a conservative GOP strategist, um, who, who famously said in 1980, um, now many of our Christians have, this is a direct quote, now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government, uh, they want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. As a matter of fact, our leverage in, in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. And so it was along with Paul Weyrick and Jerry Falwell Sr. that in this very conspiratorial and cynical way said, baby killers, that's the demagoguery we need. And to their credit, it absolutely it worked. worked. It absolutely um, did. And I do want to make two points really quickly is that, yeah, at no point are you making fun or this documentary makes fun of God or, you know, like anything like it's very respectful towards that. We're talking about evangel uh, the evangelicals. Uh, and is that even in, I, I, like, think it was, I think it tells a story of people who are mocking God. If you are a if you're if a believer you, or a Christian, if you yeah. are from exactly. And, and also uh, there is no kink shaming involved. We're like we might be in a, a cuckold threesome re relationship, but there is no like kink shaming in this of what people do behind closed doors. Wait, when you then, say we Ryan, don't drag me into your mess. Yeah, what's this? Me and, what's me this and Billy, what's Billy and me, we, Billy and me, we've decided that no, I'll uh, be in the corner if you need me, Ryan. I'll be in the <laughs> well, corner. yeah, yeah. You, you've had plenty. Of, okay, anyways, anyways, <laughs> the thing is though, I love, like I said, that you, the entrance point to this story is a very personal story, and I, I don't want to, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Giancarlo, who was a twenty-year-old pool boy, which just points out he's a horny pool boy at a the one of the top hotels and he's getting his picture taken by this Becky Falwell who he doesn't know he doesn't know this family at all but he's like she thinks I'm hot they make an arrangement to have sex and by the way uh, Giancarlo seems like this really sweet kid and you got you have his sister in there and I still to this day was like he was telling his sister that he was going up to meet with I was like 
this kid's telling his sister about like this relationship that like, I would never tell my sister this, but that's how like weirdly innocent he still came off through this thing. She's seven years. She's seven years older than him. So they had a different kind of dynamic and relationship, you know, where they're sort of like just as much friends as they are besties as they are brother and sister. I'm not going to disagree that it, that it, that my little brother and I have not had conversations like this. Um, and I'll, and, uh, and I don't think she wanted to either. You know, I mean, she's she's like the voice of reason in all this. She she's is. Like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. She don't do this. That. And <laughs> well, what was it? I mean, so when you initially uh, have this, and by the way, Adam McKay, just so you know, he's directed a lot of amazing films, also started off at SNL, but also produces Succession. Just an amazing dude in his own right. Who comes up with this idea? Like, was this your idea? And did you have the idea initially for this story? And then, or did you always know you wanted to do a story about evangelicals? And this was the entrance point. No, I mean, it was the micro that that initially turned us okay. on to it. Uh, you know, the, and and our office in Miami Beach is eight blocks away from this property at 810 Alton Road, which turns out to be like this is if the story can't get any weirder. You know, it, it turns out that less than one year after Giancarlo Granda meets Jerry and Becky at the pool as a pool attendant, 20 year old kid putting himself through college by working at this pool. Um, he is the co-owner with the Falwell family in a four point six five million dollar commercial piece of real estate in South Beach. I mean, just a plum location, a plum lot. And why? What is going on? <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You, the documentary kind of takes us through this thing where a romance starts to happen, and they almost Jerry Falwell Jr. brings him into the fold and keeps him close, almost like a friend, and then wants to invest with him. Of like, and this kid, twenty year old kid, all of a sudden is like, I want to be a millionaire, and he invests in the property. He makes a mistake in the other people that he brings into the fold, Giancarlo, as a twenty year old. You know, it's right. But I'm saying, and that comes back to haunt him later but it is weird and what is your take on you know the the the, he got so close with the family like he even went to jerry falwell and becky's like families like weddings both of the they they have two sons adult children they have three adult children two sons and a younger daughter and john carlo went to both of their sons weddings um and at, at least one of them he tells a story in the documentary that he went to their presidential suite at the greenbrier and and had sex with Becky while he was attending uh, the son's wedding. Oh yeah, there and was I'm- a big thing. Go, where's Becky? That was like there was a T-shirt made. Where's Becky? Because Becky would always disappear, and the kids would be like, "Where?" There's mom, which is the darkest thought ever, that she's up there with Giancarlo, who's now a family friend as a 21 year old. And Giancarlo would accompany them on on family vacations, sometimes on the Liberty University private jet. They would come down to Miami for family vacations and and ostensibly to check on the property, you know, that they, that they co-owned, um, on the LLC, the owners were listed as Becky Falwell with, um, a 50.1% stake, Jerry Falwell, the third Trey, their oldest son with 25%. And then Giancarlo Grande with 24.9%. And this is ultimately how the whole story kind of got, well, I mean, how it exploded in the public sphere, because of, as you mentioned, there was a, a legal dispute over the real estate transaction with some former friends of Giancarlo that he had brought into the deal. And then they claimed that they had gotten screwed in the deal. And then they they said, listen, we're going to file a lawsuit, which is going to be a public record. And 
not only are we going to just have this legal dispute, but we know the true nature of the relationship. They blackmail them. All of yeah. you. And we, they claim to have photographic evidence some compromising photos that proved the true nature of the relationship, that it was not just this business partnership. If you don't settle this case, all of this is going to be made public uh, and as, as a way to incentivize them to write a check. Um, and that's how ultimately we learned more about this story um, that was happening eight blocks away from our office. And we kind of put it on our, our spreadsheet of Florida fuckery. Uh, you know, we have a, <laughs> um, that's our genre. So we have a list of interesting stories, uh, you know, past, present. That, yeah, because I remember talking to you last time and I was like, what's, I mean, how do you, how, how many ideas you guys have, have at once? And I imagine you were already deep at work on this and you, you know, you're probably deep at work on five other projects right now, which I seven. find just seven, sorry, seven, <laughs> uh, uh, one's in the corner and no. So, so I find that fascinating, but like it even gets darker, you guys, because then Michael Cohen, everybody's favorite past Trump lawyer, he gets involved. We actually, and we have all these like photos and just so you know that like Giancarlo was a Republican a fan of Trump and he gets to meet Trump before the announcement that he's going to run he signed the art of the deal the book that Trump didn't write himself but put his name on he gets it signed it says keep working hard Giancarlo edit they have photos and all of this stuff he is now in this inner circle with the Falwells meeting his heroes and then watch it's it's very fascinating to watch it go through his uh, eyes and finally realize that a lot of this is BS, but the can you explain the Michael Cohen thing real quick? Yeah, so I, I described the the documentary God forbid as like it's like the movie Get Out meets the Righteous Gemstones. That's that's the vibe. It's like <laughs> yes. Giancarlo Giancarlo gets honey trapped into this world of 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 religion and power and privilege. He is in their inner circle of the Falwells. He is rubbing shoulders with the most powerful people in the world. Uh, and there's red flags, but on they are more frequent. They are larger, and finally, he's like, "I need to, I need to get out of here. This is I'm in over my head. I came into this, I thought, as like a consenting adult. I knew what I was doing. I'm a real estate millionaire. Like I play my cards just right." And th then he realized he was just, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. Um, and so part of that is in 2012. This is like five or six months after meeting them. Um. Invitation via email from Becky to come and be their VIP guest, uh, meaning in the green room, in the front row, with the family, the Falwell family, on a private campus with Donald Trump, who was coming to make a speech at Convocation, which are these thrice weekly uh, uh, events with compulsory attendance if you live on campus. They take place in the Liberty Flames basketball arena. Um, capacity of about 10,000. Uh, and it basically, it's, it's, it's supposed to be this kind of chapel-esque religious experience, which sometimes it is. They preach or, or there's bands playing Christian rock, et cetera. But oftentimes there are guest speakers and they are of, of some, some cases the highest caliber. Um, but 
mostly right of center and eventually far right of center and eventually entirely from Trump world, both the administration and some of the various. I mean, Judge Janine Pirro. Ju- I mean, you got Corey every- Lewandowski. You got everybody. I Mike mean, it was Pence, like that part. Melania. Yeah, Jr., it was everybody. everybody. It was like Boogie Nights when Mark Wall. Everything was going great. It was like <laughs> you know the the every like it was all. I mean, like no, it was really Liberty was the school of Trump. Then all of a sudden, and and Falwell was the kingmaker in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so that first trip, though, pre pre president uh, presidency in 2012, Giancarlo's walking around again on this private tour that Becky and Jerry are giving Donald Trump and his entourage, including uh, your friendly neighborhood fixer, Michael Cohen. And Michael Cohen is eyeing this kid, this 20 year old kid going like, what the hell is this? He's not a Liberty student. They introduced him as our friend from the Fountain Blue. And like we're doing some real (laughs) we're doing some real estate deals with him. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Miami Beach. And, 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 and Giancarlo, perhaps it was his own like guilty conscience or paranoia. He thought that like Michael Cohen, like saw right through him and this whole charade, this whole cover story that like Michael Cohen knew, like the way he was looking at him sideways and he knew what was going on. And, and in hindsight, that is, is even more profound because, you know, we kind of know Michael Cohen's role in Trump world was Yes, as a fixer, but as a guy who identified opportunities, vulnerabilities. Yeah, yeah, the vulnerabilities of powerful people, and 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 use that to the boss's advantage. You know, whenever the boss needed something, <laughs> I do it for the boss, and I get it for the great, boss. Great, that's a great Michael Cohen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the boss told me to call Joey Falwell. And I, said, <laughs> I, I called. I called Michael Cohen. I spoke to him uh, off camera, obviously. Uh, for, uh, for this project to 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 get comment and to just kind of fact check certain things. That's the thing too. You have to remember this story is so absurd and so outlandish that like even though Giancarlo has told it many times exactly the same way before, he's re- written a book about it called Off the Deep End that, that just came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, published by Harper Collins. Like Reuters vetted him. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the whole part of the, the Reuters story that comes out at the very end is is detailed and fact checked. And he had been working on it forever to make sure it was dead, the truth, so he could like hold up uh, to anything that the Falwells had against him. About two years from the moment he reached out to us. Oh, I left that part out. Uh, from the moment he, <laughs> we did not, we did not pursue this documentary. This documentary. Okay. That's what I, us. that's what I kind of wanted to know was like, oh, yeah. did you have to beg him to do a documentary, yeah. but he actually came to you guys. You did ask this question earlier. Yeah. Um, but, um, so, um, <laughs> yes, as an interviewer, Ryan, you're so bad. You're good. Um, wow. So I, finally. <laughs> well, that's, that's a pull quote. Use that as a pull quote, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I can cut that out if you need to. Cha, cha, cha. Um, no, I get you're actually a wonderful uh, interviewer and and you all have a wonderful light. Can you tell me what brand light? That's a great light. Uh that's just that's the Lord shining on me, Billy. That's I, no, it's that's, a ri- it's a ring light. Great. I I it's from Amazon oh, and it's, it's like this. Yeah, I'll I'll send well, you the link. Yeah. It's good. It's a good light. Yeah, I have one, but like I wear the glasses, so it look you can see. Yeah, I can't, the, yeah. I can't wear glasses or right. it's screw. Yeah, see? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, I yeah, see, yeah. yeah. Still a yeah. good light, dude. It's a much better light than my thing. Anyway, I think these are like this is like part of the art now. By the you behind the scenes, these. you guys, behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, but like no breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, June 3rd, 2020. Um, you'll recall the world was falling apart, the country was like on fire, literally and figuratively, and um, over the transom, 
which means that he uh, that's what my producing partner, Alfred Spellman, calls. We got an email over the transom because uh, he went to our company website, Rackentour.com. He clicked contact, you know, like the contact button. Yeah. And then it drops into an info at uh, uh, inbox that Alfred will periodically check to see if there was anything of interest. And on this particular June day, uh, there was. And the subject read Giancarlo Granda dash pool boy dash Jerry <laughs> Falwell Jr. and Donald Trump dash, dash. story. Um, and so he had me at Giancarlo <laughs> Granda because because we we knew who that was for 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 years uh, since a a, um, a BuzzFeed story by Aram Rostin in about 2018. Um told the story of this pool attendant who was partners with the Falwells in what Politico described as quote unquote, a gay friendly flop house. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That was, that was how I first knew about the story was that I was under the impression that there was a relationship between Jerry Falwell Jr. and Granda, like a, a, a homosexual relationship. That was no. my initial, uh, when I first heard about this years ago. That's because, you know, that's because of the blanks in the story, if you will. Um, you know, we we knew that there was this um, this odd business partnership. There was this lawsuit intimating there was something more to it. There was this quote unquote pool boy that they had met, and eleven months later was a real estate millionaire. Along so, and then so, Aaron Austin reported the facts, and then the blogosphere and Twitterverse just kind of took it over from there. And and then that's how Giancarlo effectively got branded the pool boy. It destroyed his Google search results. This was a this was a guy, a private guy who, if you Googled the name Giancarlo Granda prior to that, you get three hits. His Twitter, his Instagram, his LinkedIn. Like and, and, he, after, and by the way, he's a good looking, innocent looking kid. And I'm not saying that he, he's like totally innocent. Obviously he, you know, like obviously he has his own deal, but you know, he's just this like really youthful face kid. Still looks like youthful face kid. And you see him just get caught up in way over his head. I know I only have a couple more minutes. Well, can you go a couple more minutes? I know oh, I already yeah, passed yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm past my time here, but I, I just, my thing is, once again, highly recommend for so many reasons. I'm telling you, this beats any housewife season that you will ever see in your life. But also the broccoli that he tells us that, that he kind of sneaks in there. The broccoli is so fascinating to me and it tastes like chocolate. So I'm recommending it highly. But then what I wanted to really know too, is that the, Okay, first off, this gets released a couple of weeks ago. I like listen. I was like, why? Why wasn't this released months ago? Like, I wanted this released months ago. And by the way, you might not know the answer to that, but I was like, why am I just screaming about this? Because I told people to start watching it last week. Because I I watched it last week. But man, I this really tells such a unique story about where we are politically. And I know that's not our favorite word, you guys, but we got to deal with it. Um. Why wasn't this released earlier? And then what has the aftermath been? And where is Jerry Falwell and Becky now? Have you heard from any of them? I'd love to know a coda on this. Oh, yeah. Jerry's in the corner right now. <laughs> um, Wait, how is he in your corner if he's in my corner? See, he gets around this guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, wow, there's a, that was a lot of questions. But I'll, I'll I, know, I know, best. I know, I know. Um, I will do my best and, and uh, start with it wasn't released because it wasn't done yet um we we worked very hard on this um and also we were you know fact checked pretty thoroughly we, we we were lawyered pretty 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 hard um and uh the point i was making earlier was we put Giancarlo through the ringer for about two years from the moment he first reached out to us to ask if we were interested in making this documentary yes we were 
um, all the way through um, basically the release and are, are finishing it late in the summer, early this fall, we were fact-checking everything with him. We had him corroborate everything. We, we got copious amounts of text messages, only a handful of which we actually use. Oh, you guys, some of the stuff that um, they use is, is really, I mean, it just shows you the act. I mean, there was, I mean, I believe at one point, you know, it, it seemed to me that Giancarlo was in love with Becky and potentially either vice. I mean, she was sending like songs and like, and who knows if that was a, the seduction technique of Becky Falwell, but there was at one point where he thought, I mean, it felt like a real relationship in some ways. I mean, it was, he, he said she was basically my girlfriend. They were text every day. They would talk They'd say, I love every you. night, every night before bed, they would exchange. I love you's Becky was the first woman outside of his family that ever told him. I love you. He never had a high school girlfriend. He had kind of a weird, socially awkward, uh, uh, upbringing where he wound up being, I mean, he was, he was a Catholic school kid. His mother was very religious. Um, he wound up addicted to video games and spent years, you know, like in his room, 18 hours a day, you know, locked up. And, um, and then when he, he kind of comes out and he's dating girls and then basically his first girlfriend was this, as he puts it, cougar, who was more than twice his age and a relationship shows him which, love. It shows him love and respect. I mean, the way it's described is that she's saying how beautiful he is and how much she loves him. And then Jerry's saying, you're so smart. We're going to make you, you know, real estate millionaire. Like he was just, he he said he was, it was intoxicating. It was a dream come true. He described. Yeah. And what kind of winds up happening, his sister, Lilia, who's who I love, she, uh, such an interesting person. Yeah. I mean, the last thing she wanted to do was get interviewed on camera talking about her brother's oh, sex life. But she That's did why it. I thought she's so good in this, you yeah. guys. She really kind of holds up to that BS meter of like, like she is the every man we're seeing it through her eyes because her reactions yeah. are our reactions. She's my voice. She's the audience's yeah. voice. She's the voice yeah. of reason. She's the kind of unobjective Greek chorus that you need to make sense of this because it doesn't make sense. And she says it doesn't make sense. And she calls her brother out for not, you know, for not making responsible, mature uh, decisions. But, um, you know, Giancarlo, Giancarlo, she makes this, this comparison. It didn't make the final cut. So I'm sharing some deleted scenes with you. She likens her brother's situation to that of Monica Lewinsky and says, you know, you do not want to be the least powerful person in a scandal like this, because when you have a couple like the Falwells or the Clintons, they have the resources and the credibility to crush you. And and the, the playbook that the Falwells used was almost identical to the Clintons. Let's brand this kid a, it's a fatal attraction. He was obsessed with her. He was trying to extort us. Yeah. Know, it was the same thing they did to Monica Lewinsky, Lewinsky. And, and, and also similarly, of course, is that these two people um, get forever branded for the rest of their lives by a job that they held for like one year in their young adult life. Monica Lewinsky is the intern or the White House, the former White House intern, and Giancarlo Granda is the pool boy. And that can be very devastating um, in, in every conceivable way for, for a young person trying to make their way uh, you know, in, in the world, yeah. um, you know, and so I'm trying to get to the, all of the kind of hit all the, <laughs> you get a lot of good questions and where are they now? So here's a really bizarre epilogue considering that Giancarlo of course has now gone public multiple times. He's written a, a, a friggin', you know, tell all memoir. Yeah. Um, so all the tea, all the tea is, it's everywhere that we are, yeah. we are drowning in tea. It's spilled everywhere. Um, they are still partners in that real estate. In that piece of property, as no. we speak, to, as no. so we didn't, inc- Ryan, we didn't include this <laughs> yes, as like sold. Yeah. We didn't include this as an epilogue in the movie because we didn't know what the status would be as of you know publication time. 
But as you and I speak right now, the breakdown of the of the LLC that I described to you earlier that is in a pie chart animated in the documentary. It is yes. exactly the same. Giancarlo is remains partners with the Falwells in that in that piece of property. <laughs> is it, it a, is it because it's a down market, so they're waiting for it? To go? <laughs> no. I mean, like, what is? I mean, are you kidding? Miami, Miami is the least affordable housing market in the entire country right now. I mean, we've had a huge boom through the pandemic. I, I mean, this would have been the perfect opportunity to unload it and, and make everybody a. Uh, a comfortable profit. I don't really know what the plan is. That is, and that is the bizarre. Is. Uh, the Falwells, though, just so you guys know, and it covers this too, he was, uh, you know, eliminated from his position uh, at Liberty University. He tried to get a severance package, but it was kind of based on lies. So I think they fought to get the what they had given him to walk away. Uh, we really don't know the relationship. I mean, but like I always get scared, like with the Kardashians, when I don't hear from them for a day, because I'm like, what are they planning? <laughs> what is Jerry Falwell? Is- Ju- like. What is Jerry Falwell Jr. planning? Because I get like he was responsible for a lot of he had so much power. And I still think in this country that I'm like, he still probably could get in there and make some moves. What is he planning? I'm 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 I can't get past that line that 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 you that you get scared when you don't hear from the Kardashians for a day. That yeah, is one on. of the funniest things I've ever heard. Um, but I get it. I get it. Um, they're plotting. They're somewhere plotting. You know that. Um, but no, th- so the Falwells are living in exile. They're pariahs in, in the community that they spent their entire lives um, in and building. They made a lot of people rich, you know, in and around Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, a lot of people owe them their lives, their careers, their fortunes. So they they were once very powerful people. And now I don't think they really, you know, uh, 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 have that that circle of, of friends anymore outside of their immediate family. But uh, Megan K. Stack, who formerly of a New Yorker, who we, who we interviewed in the documentary, who spent yeah. a lot of time with them and said they have a very unique bond and a marriage and, and a marriage unlike any she's ever seen before, where they are absolutely perfectly in sync, finishing each other's sentence, you know, bouncing off of each other. Like, and, and, you know, Becky seems to, to to ha- uh, uh, exert as much kind of power and control in that dynamic as as Jerry does, so it, they they they're they're hyper simpatico and 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 I so it did it didn't know. ruin the relationship. I I am I fixated on those kids though and how they must have felt once all of this came out and if it connected the dots or were they already aware? We'll never really know that until they tell their own story. But there is this great quote as we end this. Uh, you know, is like Mr. Ebner in the documentary says. The Falwells are the Southern Gatsby's. They are wealthy and sloppy as fuck. And I thought that was such a great summation of all of this. And I will say that, you know, we live in times in which we could turn on the television right now and see Jimmy Swaggart preaching. We can see Jim Baker and his new wife preaching on TV. I never thought I'd see the day, but 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 to their credit, this is a faith about forgiveness and that says that not that that none of us is perfect that is reserved for the higher you know the higher power and and any of us can fall uh and but we but with a little faith and 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 asking for forgiveness we can be redeemed and we can get our televangelism 
career back. And so I would, the, the Falwells are down, but I would not count them out. There is nothing quite like a third act in American evangelicalism. Not, not at all. And that's what I just want to point out. Cocaine Cowboys, which is a great docu-series on another uh, streaming service. Uh, there was a sequel to that eventually. And there will be a sequel to this eventually. I don't think Billy knows it yet, God but there forbid, will be. Ryan. God, God forbid. forbid too. God forbid an her. Can we do yeah. T-O-O? God forbid T-O-O, right? God forbid yes. too. We'll yeah. right. But uh, just Drew, I mean, just as a, a viewer of these things and somebody that geeks out on this stuff, it was such a, a scary pleasure to watch. And I just, I said, I, I got to reach out. Let's see if he'll talk to me again, because this just, this is what I geek out on. And I was just, I sat up straight in bed and I was like, I got to finish this thing. I've watched it twice since. And I highly recommend it. You guys don't be scared off by politics religion all of it's scary but it is told through something that you can easily it's easily accessible and it's yeah. really weirdly enjoyable so i highly recommend it it kind of goes from like zalman king to ken burns right it goes from like it's like zalman it's king by the way i shouldn't act like i know who he is red shoe diaries zalman king you guys it goes from red shoe diaries to like ken burns civil war like over the course of an hour an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, and yeah. I did. I was so into the Zalman King part that I did not count on the Ken Burns part, you guys. So when they start telling us deep into like the actual evangel, I'm like, whoa. I was, And then I had to talk with my dad about it because he used to warn me about like people like Swaggered and Falwell as a kid. I remember this being with my, he goes, oh, you got to be careful of this. They're asking for money. They're just asking for money. Um, Billy Corbin, you did it again. I just think this is such, such a great piece of work. I'm so excited to see whatever you're involved in. Um, thank you. For Ryan, you, here. you, you are a great piece of work. I, I re honestly, really, where's I, the I, Ryan Bailey documentary, Billy? Come on. There's gotta I be something dark in my life. Let's, let's uncover this. You don't want to be in one of my documentaries. That's that know, is not, <laughs> not a, that, that means that's, that's bad news for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful, uh, for your, your, your passionate recommendation. And I'm, I'm very grateful that you had me here. And I, and I remember very well being on with you, uh, last year, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes it can be a real struggle with the glut of content out there to get any attention, you know, for any of these projects that we spent years of our life on. And I was very grateful you had me on for Kings of Miami and and very, very uh, grateful you had me on uh, again. I mean, Barrett, you should be very proud. I've never been to Miami, but if I do, I hope to meet you one day. I'm scared oh. to go to Miami now. I mean, oh. you've really been <laughs> but uh, you, you, uh, yes. anyways, thank you so much. You know what they say, uh, come on vacation, leave on probation. And on that, we will wrap this up. Goodbye. Betches.